many ways. Anyone does not stumble in what he says. He is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. <clears throat> How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire! And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Well, let me begin by presenting some imaginary scenarios to us this morning. So first we meet Sally. Sally is exhausted. Her oldest child has had a meltdown over his homeschool reading book again. The baby won't stop crying. The dinner's overcooked. It looks and will probably taste like cardboard. Then Sally's phone goes. <laughs> Genuinely written down here. Not... Switch them off. Yeah. <laughs> it's her husband <laughs> texting her to say he'll be late back from work. And that's the final straw. Sally loses her rag with her children, gets them to bed with much arguing and false threats, and then gives her husband the cold shoulder when he finally comes in. Pamela, there's Pamela. Pamela is meeting up with friends over a cuppa. It's great to finally get a chance to catch up and hear how everyone's doing. One friend has heard some gossip about someone they all know, and it's so tempting to join in. After all, thinks Pamela, it's not doing any harm. It's just fun chat. Later, the conversation turns to talk about the latest TV drama and how gorgeous that male actor was with his shirt off. Oh yes, Pamela agrees, as they enjoy harmless talk. He's very hot. And then there's Lynn. Lynn works her socks off in the office. Day in, day out, she gives it her all. But her boss doesn't seem to notice. Her boss isn't really a people person, and the team, they all find him unpredictable, unreasonable. One day, Lynn completes a highly pressured deadline. She can't wait to get out of the office to celebrate. But an email comes through from her boss, telling her she's got to do a, a massive chunk of it um, before she leaves. And Lynn feels her inside just boiling over with anger. She turns to her colleague on the neighbouring desk, telling him how unfair her boss is. Her colleague agrees with her, and Lynn feels so much better for venting her frustrations. These are imaginary scenarios, made up, but they all have something in common that I know <coughs> resonates with me and perhaps with you also. 
They are all Christians who struggle to honour God in their daily speech. And I think their struggles are not uncommon. I see my use of speech reflected in Sally, Pamela and Lynn. I am reminded how speech is something that I do all the time and influences all my relationships. And yet, because of that, my speech is something I often have little self-awareness of, like a, a fish in a goldfish bowl that can't see the water it swims in. I don't see or reflect upon the words that I'm speaking every day. And that is something that James wants to wake us up to. For as we saw last night in James 1, 26, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. If anyone thinks they are living for God but do not control their speech, they are deceiving themselves and they are showing their faith to be a sham, not genuine. You see, James is writing to Christians, his brothers and sisters in Christ. He is writing to those who have heard the gospel and have been given new spiritual life by that very same gospel word. And yet, James needs to warn these Christians to beware being double-minded and falling away from following Jesus. He warns them and us to beware being those who are in two minds, to be those who say they want to live for God, but in reality are living more like the world around them. And so James particularly wants us to see today how vital our speech is to consistently living out our faith in Christ. And yet, also how often our speech is the main area that reveals our double-mindedness. We will see this dangerous double-mindedness this morning in two ways. First, by realising that speech has positive power. That's the first point on the handout, verses 1 to 5. And second, by being humbled by the evil of our speech. That's verses 5 to 12. So, firstly, we are to realise that speech has positive power. Realise that speech has positive power. Have a look with me at verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. James begins by giving us a warning about teaching. Not many Christians should become teachers of God's word. We should be slow to teach. So James has in mind here the teaching of God's word within the church community. This would be those who preach in responsibility, but it would extend outward to others in other teaching roles, so to small group Bible study leaders and to Sunday club teachers. Why should Christians be slow to take on such responsibility? Because, verse 1, teachers of God's word will be held to greater account when we stand before the Lord on the last day. Christ has dealt with all our sins at the cross. He alone is our saviour. But the Bible also teaches that Christians will give an account for their lives when Christ returns. And so being a teacher is a serious business because, verse 2, all Christians stumble in many ways. We all struggle to live out our faith consistently. We all of us stumble into sin. And this includes in what we say. To teach others, teachers must speak. So those who teach God's word 
are taking on a responsibility where they will struggle in the key area. This is sobering, isn't it? For those of us in teaching roles, perhaps with quite a bit of experience and training, I wonder, do we forget this? Have we tendencies to self-reliance and confidence in our own ability? I know that I do. These verses surely drive us, don't they, to our knees in prayerful dependence on God in all our teaching. And for those of us perhaps considering teaching roles in the future, James's words here should cause us to be humble and to be slow to take on teaching responsibility. But James's main purpose for beginning with teachers is actually to show how important speech is for all of us, how we must all realise the positive power of speech. Have a look at verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. It's true here that James is showing that we stumble in what we say, but he does so to actually show that our speech has potentially great positive power. If a person never sinned in their words, they would be perfect. They would be mature, godly, and ultimately sinless. Why? Because they'd be able to bridle their whole body. That is, they would be able to control their very selves, their thoughts, attitudes, and behaviour. Speech has positive power because speech can control the whole life. And James gives us two illustrations to make his point. So first, bits in horses. Verse 3. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Horses are large, strong and powerful creatures. I have a limited, limited experience of horse riding. But I do remember when I was on summer camp when I was 13, I was on a horse. Um, but it decided to rear up on its hind legs and I just held on for dear life. It was terrifying. Um, it would only last a few seconds, but I was pretty shaken up. And yet, humans have been able to control horses, other humans than me. Um, just watch the equestrian events at any Olympics, and you can see riders direct their horses to do the most amazing things. And how do they do that? Well, they've got a small bit in the mouth of the horse that has great control and influence over the whole horse. Similarly, James goes on, small rudders control large ships. So verse 4. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. Perhaps you've journeyed on a large ship before, across the Channel to France or Belgium maybe. All the cars are stored on the lower deck and well, you go up and enjoy the top deck, uh, enjoy the view. Or perhaps if you're like me, I do only sit down and try and control the queasiness. Um, ships are large, they're affected by strong weather, And yet, what directs the ship to its destination? What keeps it on track? Why, the very small rudder that has the power to control the direction of the whole ship. And so too the tongue. Though small, has massive influence over our lives. Verse 5. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. The tongue is physically a small part of our bodies, yet the speech that comes from it can do great good both for ourselves and for those around us. Speech can control the whole life. So, when we persist in holding our tongue back from making sharp, critical comments, 
our thoughts and attitudes towards others become less critical too. When we restrain from gossip, don't we find that we become more focused on the things God has called us to be concerned for? And when we speak encouraging and patient words to our children, we see them flourish and grow, slow and painful though that growth may be. When we say sorry to someone we've hurt, those words can bring healing to the relationship. Speech has positive power because godly speech is a key to the godly life. So I hope this is an encouragement for those of us who are teachers of God's word to to keep on teaching, to keep praying for the children that we teach in Sunday Club and to keep longing to speak encouraging words to our growth group. And for those of us with children, doesn't this encourage us to teach to, uh, to keep che- teaching our children about Jesus, to keep modeling those words of patience and forgiveness to our children. It really is worth it. For, and for all of us as Christians, godly speech really has great positive power and influence. And no doubt, as James writes, he is recalling the one man who alone has truly lived that consistent life his brother, Jesus. Jesus never stumbled in what he said. Jesus was the perfect man who bridled his whole body, his whole self. And in the Gospels, we see the great power of godly speech in action. For we see that Jesus spoke words of compassion and mercy. Jesus spoke with patience and forbearance. Jesus always spoke truth, no matter what it cost him. Jesus graciously spoke God's word of salvation to a rebellious lost world. And so as we look at Jesus, we truly can see the positive power of the tongue of speech. As we look to Jesus, we can give thanks that he is the one who has lived that perfect life for us. We can give thanks too that Jesus is the one who has borne all our sinful speech upon himself on the cross. For... Though there is great positive power in speech, James goes on to humble us by showing us that our speech is double-minded and evil. We are to be humbled by the evil of our speech. Have a look with me at verse 5. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. The reality is our tongue, our speech, is a world of unrighteousness. Unrighteous means sinful. It means ugly, dirty, wicked, horrible and ungodly. It means anti-God, against him, opposed to him, hating him. And the tongue is a world of unrighteousness. That is, its evil is absolutely overflowing, overwhelming, constantly inventive in its evil and constantly opposed to God. There is no part of our speech that is unaffected by our sin. And so our tongue, our speech is destructive. It is a fire that causes great havoc. From time to time in the news, there will be tragic stories of uncontrollable fire. Australia often experiences bushfires in its dry winter seasons. These fires start so very small, perhaps caused by a dropped cigarette or a campfire. 
Yet from such a small fire comes great destruction, as a whole area of bush is set ablaze. So too the tongue, though small, is a fire that stains the whole body and sets on fire the entire course of a person's life. The way we speak can cause great destruction in our lives, and it can set a destructive direction for the whole of our life that is ahead of us. And what's more, it is a destruction that reeks of hell. That is, it is hellish, satanic, and can ultimately lead a person to hell itself. This is utterly shocking, isn't it? Okay, we think we put our hands up. We recognise we slip up in what we say. We lose our patience. We say a sharp word. We indulge in a little gossip. We slightly adapt the truth in a situation. We vent our frustrations and complain a little. But surely it's, it's not that bad. Surely we say more kind things than unkind. Surely we do pretty well at being polite to others and avoiding conflict. Surely we're just being a bit Eeyore-ish. No, says James. The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. Left to ourselves, our speech is naturally evil and anti-God. And if we're not yet convinced, James goes on in his hard-hitting direct style to give us further evidence to prove that our speech is naturally destructive. So firstly, the tongue is an untamable poison. Verse 7. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Humans have been able to tame and control many animals over the years. I wonder, have you ever been to see birds of prey demonstrations? It can be quite stunning. These amazing eagles have such sharp claws, majestic wings, the immense eyesight, and they fly at such speed with such beauty. And yet, at these demonstrations, these fearsome birds listen to and obey the instructions of their human keeper. They have been tamed. Eagles can be tamed, but no human being can tame and control their tongue. We need to see that the tongue is far more dangerous and powerful than any wild creature you might come across on David Attenborough's blue planet. The tongue is a restless evil. That is, it is unstable, an unstable and uncontrollable force that will lash out at any moment. And it is, verse 8, full of deadly poison. Like a snake poised to strike, to deceive and destroy, our speech is a death-bearing poison that kills relationships. We know this to be true, don't we? Even from a young age as females, we know the power and influence of speech. Even in the playground as girls, we knew instinctively what cutting words we could say to each other and what power and satisfaction that could bring us. As teenagers, making our way through the trials of school life, we know too well how comments could cut and bite us inside of us for far longer than any actual argument. And as adults... We know too well how words can put up barriers between spouses, siblings, parents and children, colleagues, friends and amongst church family. The tongue is an untamable poison. Secondly, the tongue is also evil because it is full of inconsistency. It is double-minded. Verse 9. 
With it, our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Even as Christians, even as those who have the Spirit, our words are often inconsistent. We speak words about how amazing God is, how precious Jesus is, how great his word is. And yet, with the same mouth, we curse people who are made in God's image. This is utterly inconsistent and double-minded. And it happens all the time. So we might have a quiet time in the morning, thanking God for Jesus. Then, on the way into work, someone cuts us up in the car or pushes past us on the bus. As we're British, we don't speak our curse out loud, but our hearts burn in anger against the person. (coughs) That person who's made in God's image. Or at church on a Sunday, we praise God together in song, but then over coffee afterwards, we avoid certain people because in our hearts, we've made certain judgments about them. This is utterly inconsistent with who we are in Christ. And so James gives us a loving rebuke. Verse 10, my brothers and sisters, these things ought not to be so. And why is it that Christians should not indulge inconsistent and double-minded speech? Because finally, James also tells us that evil speech is an unnatural fruit for the Christian. Have a look with me at verse 11. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? The obvious answer is no. A spring of water cannot give out both fresh and salt water. It would never happen in nature. It's impossible because the salt water would contaminate the fresh water. So too, as a Christian, we should not be inconsistent in our speech. It's unnatural for those who have the Holy Spirit in them. And so too, if we prove to be inconsistent... Ultimately, it's the ungodly words that will influence us the most. And such persistent, ongoing ungodliness in our speech would would even cast doubt over the genuineness of our faith. 4, verse 12. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? (coughs) Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. In the world of nature, there is utter consistency. Fig trees can't bear olives, grapevines cannot produce figs, apple trees can't produce pears, blackberry bushes can't produce strawberries, and neither can a salt pond produce delicious, life-giving water. A salt pond will produce salty, disgusting, undrinkable, life-denying water. And so, in the same way, the fruit of our speech will reveal the godliness or ungodliness of our hearts within. The way we speak, day after day, week after week, year after year, is a powerful pointer to whether we actually know Christ at all. For bitter words reveal a bitter heart. Critical words reveal a critical spirit. Unloving words reveal a heart that does not love God or neighbour. As Jesus himself said in Matthew 12, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth (coughs) speaks. The words we speak reflects our heart within. So what does this all mean for us? Firstly, this is surely massively humbling. 
Though speech can have great positive power, the reality is our speech is naturally evil. Our speech is destructive. It is an untamable poison. And even as Christians, our speech is so often double-minded and full of an inconsistency that dishonours our Father who has saved us. In our more honest moments, we know this to be true, don't we? We know how easy and natural it is to use speech as a weapon. We know how hard it is to hold back from that oh-so-satisfying comment. And we look back at words we've spoken in the past and wish we could take them back. Well, let us be humbled here. Let us admit that by ourselves, we cannot change our speech. We cannot produce the godly speech that is the mark of the Christian life. We cannot do it. Just as much as we cannot change our hearts within us. And in admitting our sin, let us take it to God. Let us confess to God that James is describing us. Describing our double-minded speech. No excuses, no circumstances, pressures or other people that cause us to lash out. Instead, let us say sorry to God for how we've sinned against him in our speech. And as we are humbled and come to God with our sin, we will find forgiveness and we will find hope because we'll be coming to the one who truly can tame the tongue. We will be coming to the one who, by the Spirit, will give us the power and wisdom we need to be godly in our hearts and in our speech. God always humbles us for our good. God humbles us to reveal a loving truth. We can't change ourselves, but God can. But that's for the next talk. For now, let us take a moment in the quiet to be humble before the Lord, to acknowledge our sinful double-minded speech, and to thank God for Christ, our Saviour, who was the perfect man, who always spoke words of godliness and peace. Jesus, who spoke gospel words that offer forgiveness for our sins through Christ alone.